Thanks so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is impacting your life. Please take a moment and email us at mystory@cowboyjunctionchurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can visit our website at cowboyjunctionchurch.com and click Give. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy the message today. Well, I am so honored to be here. This is my first time to actually preach the three services on Sunday morning. My last time to preach at Cowboy Junction was back in October, and I just barely missed the moving into the three services. And so um, I, I felt really good after the second service, but we will see how you think the third service goes. Um, I just want to give you a little warning that I gave the first two services, and they lucked out. So you may be the service this actually happens to. For the last two weeks, I have battled a cold, and last night I took my antibiotic before bed, and I don't know if it was the timing in which I took it or what, because I've taken this antibiotic before, but I had some funky dreams last night. Okay, and if they're going to come to pass, I just want to warn you, there could be chickens that come in through the church, there could be someone that starts playing cards over in the corner over there of the church. And if those things start to happen, they didn't happen first or second service, so it's up to y'all if it's going to happen. Run, okay? Because what's coming after that part of the dream is really, really freaky, if that's not already freaky enough. So I didn't sleep real great last night, but uh, I know God has a word for, for us today, and I'm super excited to share it. So before we get started, can we pray? Father, I just thank you once again that you are here I am a willing vessel. You've already showed up in a big way, first and second service, and I just thank you, Lord, that once again, these people here at the 1130, you have a word for them. They matter to you, and I just pray, Lord, that our hearts are open and receptive to receive. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So a little update on your pastor. Pastor Ty is elk hunting in the Gila Mountains, and uh, I did talk to him yesterday. He is not seen anything but he's heard a lot so i hear from the hunting people that that's good so hopefully he's going to get something unless you're praying the other direction which i had several people in the first service say they're rooting for bambi so whichever way you vote for that with hunting um, my mom of course she says yes bambi run so i honestly would love for him to get something for himself but i don't want one more thing hanging in my house i'm good so, but no matter what, I'm so glad that we have a church that allows our pastor to get away, to refresh, and to just come back uh, renewed and ready to, to continue on with the dysfunctional family. So, dysfunctional family is what I'm talking about today. And just to give you a little definition of what does dysfunction mean. Do, does my family qualify for dysfunction? I need to know what the definition of that is. So, please, also, take notes. If you've got a notebook, if you've got a... a a phone that you can take notes on. I tell people all the time, if Jesus Christ were to walk into the room and say, I have a word for you, how many of you would hope and pray someone was recording it? Or your memory served you well that day so that you could remember and reflect back on what the Lord said. I truly believe that every time we gather in the name of the Lord, expecting to hear, you're not expecting to hear from me, although I will be speaking, I believe God has given me a word that is for us today. And so if you hear something that you're like, that registers in my heart, or that is something I needed to hear, write it down so that you can always go back. 
If you're a woman and have a purse, get a deposit slip out. Believe me, I have so many different crazy things that I've written notes all over. And even in preparation for this message, I had to pull out torn notebook paper, a deposit slip, an envelope, just because I'll be driving down the road and the Lord will speak something. And I'm like, I don't have anything to write on. So anything just to, to be able to take notes. So dysfunctional means this. The condition of having poor or unhealthy behaviors and attitudes. So just because you may not act bad doesn't mean that your attitude doesn't qualify you for dysfunctional. So unhealthy behaviors and attitudes within a group of people characterized by a breakdown of normal or beneficial relationships between members of the group, especially a family. So I would more than likely say 95% of us in this room would admit that we either come from a dysfunctional family or we are currently part of a dysfunctional family. The other 5% of you are either lying or you're in denial. <laughs> because the truth be told, we all have dysfunction of some nature in our family. It just is what it is. So I want you to understand that this message is not necessarily to tell you how to become perfect and lack dysfunction. What I believe this series is going to show us is how we can be a functional family with moments of dysfunction rather than a dysfunctional family with moments of function. Does that make sense? I mean, we're always going to struggle with stuff. You can't expect to put a group of imperfect people full of sin and selfish ways under one roof and them all get along all the time. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Sin started here with us as the human race, and we still struggle with wanting it my way and you want it your way, and therefore it becomes the dysfunction. But we have got to figure out how do we walk and live in this thing called family as functional as possible. So I've got something to tell you today that will maybe ease your mind. Don't be ashamed of possibly the dysfunction that you find your family in because we can go back to Scripture and see where it all began. You know, the Bible was given to us to be able to encourage us, to let us know we're not alone. So we're going to go back for just a moment to the Old Testament, and I'm just going to share with you some of the families in the Old Testament that maybe you can relate to. Adam and Eve, the very first two that walked and talked with God, I mean, they had relationship with him like nobody ever had before, and they still disobeyed God. Then they have two sons, and their son Cain kills their, his brother Abel, very first people on the face of the planet, and he's killing his brother. Then we've got Noah, who was called the only righteous one, that God called him to save his family to start over before when the flood came. As soon as the flood was over, what did Noah do to celebrate? He got drunk and naked. Good Lord, if that was the only righteous person we had, we were in trouble from the get-go. But that's Noah. Then you have Abram and Sarai, who were too old, could not get pregnant, were not able to conceive a child. So Sarai's great idea is to tell her husband to go sleep with her maid. Now, if that's not real housewives of Canaan, I don't know what is. And she did that. She sent her husband. He slept with his, her, Hagar, her maid. And then the baby is born. And guess what happens? Sarah is jealous. She wakes up every day enraged with jealousy. It causes contention in their family and their home. Later on, Abraham and Sarah finally had a child, Isaac. And he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And you know the story of that. Jacob tricked his brother, stole his birthright, lying and conniving with the help of the mother. I mean, we've got a lot of drama going on. And then don't get me started on Jacob's son, Joseph. Bless his little heart. Every one of his brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. 
Now, that is only a portion of Genesis. We haven't even moved out of the book of Genesis. If I went on and on, it would take up my entire 30 minutes to explain to you the dysfunction that is even in the Scripture, the Holy Word of God that we are to read and follow. So, rest assured, you're not alone. And there is hope for your family. All of that is just an example of how we can begin to start the healing that takes place in our family. So again, to be clear, we're not trying to fix your family to be perfect. We're trying to function in the middle of sometimes being dysfunctional. So the title of my message today is, and you know what, I, did I, I didn't show my, my little picture. Let me show you my picture real quick. Someone stole my identity yesterday. They returned it to me after spending 24 hours with my family. <laughs> Can some of you relate? Thought that was so cute. So the title of my message today is putting the fun back into functional. And I really do mean putting the fun back into our families because I don't know about you and me, but I feel like as you get older, you get, is crotchety okay to say in church? <laughs> you get grumpy. You get just, you know, uh, sour. You lose the fun. And I truly believe that God has called us to be fun, to enjoy life, to lift one another up, to laugh. I told Ty at the beginning of uh, this year, I said, my New Year's resolution is I want to laugh more. I, I want to be the fun mom and wife that you and the kids deserve. Because life sometimes can just get you to where you feel like you're in your little shell. You're doing your work. Does anybody notice me? Does anybody know the hard work I'm doing? I mean, I'm, I, your underwear are clean, the bills are paid, the refrigerator's full, toilet paper's on the roll. Does anybody pay attention to what I'm doing? We can all get in those little funks and then it begins to change our attitude, change the way that we behave, change the things that we do to our family. Insecurities and fears start to steal and rob us of our joy that we once had. The scripture for this message today is Proverbs 17, 22. It says, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. You know, so many people today, if you ever try to go to the pharmacy, the line is so long because people are in search of a medicine to fix their problem. I mean, it's just the fact of, of life. But what if we began to look to things that encouraged our soul, that brought life into our spirit? What if the merry heart and the laughter truly was something that would begin to change the situation? You know, I've battled at moments depression. I've had definitely issues with anxiety. But I truly believe that many times we deal with those things because we're so inwardly focused on what's not been done to me or what has been done to me that we lose our joy. We lose our passion. So a friend of mine this year decided she was going to pick a word a year and stand on that word. Let it be a declaration. And I've taken it on myself as well. And I just want to share it with you today and maybe encourage you to let it be your family's motto or mantra. It is be intentional. Be intentional. If you're not happy with your current situation, the state of your home, whatever may be going on in your life, we've got to stop waiting on God to change someone or something, and we have to become proactive. If you're not happy in your current state or situation, you have to be intentional and stop waiting on God to fix somebody else or to change somebody else. Because God doesn't want us to wait years that that may not even happen for a while and us live in a state of depression, of frustration, of lack of joy. We have to be 
intentional. We have to stop the blame game. It can't always be somebody else's fault for the condition that I'm in or the condition I'm struggling with. Your mother's mother's mother can't be the problem of why you struggle with what you struggle with today. The husband not doing what he needs to do in the home cannot be why you're angry with your children. We have to take ownership for the behavior that we have and the attitudes in our heart. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what your present is. Your future can change. I'll say it again. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter what your present looks like right now. Your future can change when you are intentional in doing something that you've never done before. If we want our life to be different, we have to be willing to do something that we've never done before, go places we've never gone before, and allow the Lord to show us a different path in life. So just a few examples, and I know they're kind of corny, but, you know, that's okay. Leave the dishes, ladies, and play a game. Dads, leave work early and surprise your family with movie tickets and dinner out. Start making memories. Start letting little things light up your home again. Eat ice cream on a weeknight. Make hot fudge sundaes right before bed. I know that's crazy. But you know what your kids are going to remember? They're going to remember those moments. They're going to be excited about things like that. Those are the things they're going to go back. So many times parents sit in our counseling office and they're like, I've done so much. I've, I've, I've I've scarred my children so much. And years later, when you talk to the kids, they don't remember those scarring days. They remember the late-night ice cream Sunday parties. That's what they remember. You can change the destiny and the future of your family when you allow fun to come back into your home. A fun fact about me that most of you may not know, um, some of you probably do because we talk about it a lot, is I love food. I love food a lot. I am what you would consider a foodie. But it's not so much the food that I love as I, I love the experience. I love to sit around a table and try different things, share conversation. I tell people all the time, two, two weeks in my life that were probably one of my most favorite times of life was when I went to Africa. And it's because we, we didn't have a dining table, but we sat around a campfire, no cell phones, and we talked. Do y'all know what that is? <laughs> Do we know what communication is anymore? We use the dining table experience to visit with one another. You know, a lot of kids don't talk to their parents because their parents don't ever ask them anything. They don't share what's on their heart because there's never an opportunity for them to share. We've lost the dining room experience. And a lot of times around food is where laughter comes. Around food, around that dining room table, drawing the family together is where exciting moments happen. And what does your dining room table look like? Is it where you stack the folded laundry for the kids to pick up throughout the week? Is it where the bills get thrown? No, no judgment here. I'm just trying to make a point. We can make changes today that can affect the future of our family. And what I love about God is it's never too late. It's never too late to start something new. What I also love is making traditions. And just, just to share with you guys a little tradition that the Bean family started, again, seven years ago, six years ago, I can't even remember anymore. I'm going to say something different all the time, and I thank God I can't remember anymore. But years ago, when I had that total anxiety breakdown in my life, it was in October, 
And December was slowly approaching, and I just felt this anxiety come over me of, oh my gosh, I can't even get up in the morning and get ready to get my children to school, much less think about buying Christmas presents for everybody, getting out that stinking Christmas tree and putting it up and trying to be festive and in the mood for for the holidays. And so I told Ty, I said, I cannot do this decorating thing this year. And that's not like me. I am a decorator. I, I love to to make my house feel happy and jolly and Christmassy. And he said, let's go cut a Christmas tree down. Well, you have to know I grew up with an artificial tree. So people that owned real trees were weird because they were messy and they died on you and they started fires, you know? So I was like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, come on, let's build a new tradition. So I said, okay, we went down to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, bought a $5 permit and went out to Rudosa and spent three hours driving around in the truck. Now, my little bit of perfectionism came out in me, I hate to admit it, but I wanted the perfect tree. And perfect trees only belong outside of Allsips because out in the wilderness, they are not perfect trees. In fact, the first year we found a tree and we got it home when I realized there was a big hole right where I wanted it. So Ty sawed off limbs, drilled holes in the trunk, and we glued them into the deal. It worked. It lasted. That one little branch, of course, fell to pieces earlier than the rest of the tree. But that year, Ty surprised us after we cut the tree down with Christmas cookies, and he brought his gear to make homemade hot chocolate on the back tailgate of his truck. And it was amazing. And we went home that day, and we strung cranberries and popcorn and made pipe cleaner ornaments. This was all out of character for me. I'm the Hobby Lobby, owning all the nice, fancy stuff. But that was the greatest treat ever, and I, we still do it. Every single year, we buy our $5 permit, and we go out, and we have hot cocoa and cookies, and we take our picture, and we make an adventure out of it. My kids will not remember the struggles that I dealt with six years ago. They'll remember how we overcame those struggles and built a family tradition and a moment of fun. That is what my kids will remember. You can take the struggle, you can take the pain, you can take the frustration that is happening in your family, and you can turn it around. All it takes is some creativity and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and show you what to do. If you're not willing to try something new or do something different, don't expect your situation to change. If you're not willing to try something new or to do something different, don't expect your situation to change. But I promise you, when you're willing to step out and do something different, your situation can be different. So, there's not a whole lot that I can talk to you about fun for functional, so I broke it down into an acronym, and we're going to start with F today. Again, if you're taking notes, F stands for Focus on Faith. What you focus on will be magnified. What you focus on will be magnified. Last week, the worship team closed out the worship service with that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I love that song, and it was so perfect that they sang it because I knew that I was going to be talking about that this week. When you look into a microscope, what you're looking at becomes clear, and the perimeter becomes blurry. Agree? When you focus on your problems, the Lord becomes blurry. The things that really matter become blurry. But when you put your focus on Christ, when you put your focus on Him, the things of this world grow strangely dim 
because of his light, of his glory, of his grace that he has for you and I. But you have a choice. What is your focus going to be? Is it going to be on the problem or is it going to be on the one who provides the problem solved? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And you know what? When we focus on our problems many times, we feel like the responsibility is ours to fix the problem. I don't know about you, but when I, when I can't get my mind and my attention off of things that I'm struggling with, there's this sense of, I've got to fix it. I've got to change it. Even if it's not my problem, but somebody else's. It can become all-consuming that I have to figure out how to fix this for somebody else. When God is saying, but when you look to me, I began to do the work that only I can do. And that's what God tells us to do. He said, do what you can do and let me do the rest. And what God has called us to do is to look to him. Matthew 6, says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The things that you're seeking after, the things that you believe your family needs, the direction you're supposed to go, God says, seek me first. And these other things, the things that have been weighing you down, I'll provide them, but in my timing, in my way. And not only will you get sometimes what you want, you'll more importantly get what you need. When you move on, uh, the message translation of this uh, particular scripture, I just love it. It says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. God wants to be your focus. He wants to take care of whatever it is that's going on in your life. The word reminds us that he will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death and that we don't have to fear evil because why? Because he is with us, guiding us and protecting us. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Elijah and the widow. And I've been telling Ty, he had been in a series and it just was going to fit perfectly. And I'm like, use that story, use that story. And if you know my husband, you go in his office, he's like got six months worth of sermons already being worked on and, and stories and who he's going to, so he didn't use it. So I was like, when I found out I was going to get to speak, I was like, yeah, I get to use it. I hope it fits. And it does, it fits perfectly. Um, First Kings, if you want to go there, there is a famine that is taking place in the land. And Elijah the prophet, God has told him, there will be no rain on the earth until I send word. So go to this ravine and I will take care of you there. You'll drink from the brook and I'll have the ravens come and feed you in the morning and the evening. So this had been happening. Elijah had been seeing God just be using him in a mighty, mighty way and taking care of him as well. Well, rain not coming, the brook eventually dried up. And so where we find ourselves is 1 Kings 17 and a new instruction has come to Elijah. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little jar and oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, 
that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. And we're going to go on with the story, but I just wanted to pause for a moment and show you the order of instruction. Sometimes the things that God asks us to do doesn't make sense. Sometimes we don't understand what God is up to. Anybody else in that boat? God, why are you not fixing this? God, why are you not doing this? And this woman, she's on the verge of, I'm making my last pancake, and then I'm going to eat it and die. And God sends this man to say, don't go make two pancakes, and y'all eat one, and I eat one. Go make me one first, bring it to me, and then go back and make another one. Now, as a mother, my initial instinct would be like, what if there's only enough for the one? Why, why can't I, like, make it and tear it in half, and we'll keep half of it and then give you half? But did you know God requires faith for growth? He requires faith for growth. And sometimes you want to be over there, and God says, but do this first. But God, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how doing that is going to fix the problem. And God said, just trust me. Focus on my promise and trust me. It goes on to say, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now what if the woman would have said, You're crazy. It ain't going to happen. I'm making the pancake for my family, and I am going to eat it, and then we're going to die. What would have happened? She would have died. Because what seemed impossible, what seemed like far beyond her capability, she would have died. But in trusting the instruction of the Lord, what did it do? It saved their life. It saved their life by following an, a, an instruction that seemed impossible. Did you know that God is the God of the impossible? I love the first song that we sang this morning, the new song, Unstoppable God. What he is capable of is beyond anything we can imagine. His plan for our life far exceeds anything we can ask, think, or imagine. And when God instructs, our job is to obey and trust him even when it does not seem possible. When we focus on God's truth and when we focus on his promises, he will do the impossible. But in order to focus on those, we have to know what his promises are. You have to know what God thinks about you. You have to know what God says about you. To, in order to believe, you have to know. In order to be set free, you have to know the truth. Truth doesn't set you free unless you know the truth. It's knowing it that sets you free. So to focus on his promises, you have to know. How do you get to know the promises of God? The word of God. It's so important. You know, I'm a firm believer to never make someone feel like they've got to read their Bible, pray a certain amount of time, go to church a certain amount of time. But I think we've become too lax in trying to not hurt anybody's feelings or make them feel pressure. Like, God still loves you. He does love us. He loves us whether we never read our Bible again, whether we never pray, whether we never go to church. God loves us. But if we want to know his truth in the dark hours, if we want to be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if we want to walk through fire and not even smell of smoke, we have to know what the promises of God are because we wouldn't walk out of the storm 
We wouldn't even walk into the storm sometimes if we didn't know God was going to be with us. You know your promises by his word. You know his promises by getting under good teaching and allowing someone to pour into you weekly to encourage you. Even when you're not here, there's podcasts. Pastor Ty is my pastor, but I listen to Stephen Furtick. I listen to Joyce Meyer. I listen to Christine Kane. When I get in my car, Joel Osteen is on all the time, and I'm getting nuggets of gold that are encouraging my faith and stirring me up. But we also have to know that God speaks to us personally. He uses others, but you are able to hear the voice of God. I'm not talking audibly. I'm 40 years old. I get to say that now. And I've never heard the voice of God. In fact, uh, Brady and I were driving down the road the other day, and I was wanting to teach him and encourage him on listening for God's voice. And he goes, but I'm not, I've never heard it. And I go, babe, I'm not talking his voice like I'm talking. I'm talking about him speaking and tugging in your heart. And I said, when, you're, when you do something kind for somebody because uh, you see that they've been hurt, and he goes, oh, that's, that's God speaking to me? And I go, yes, God is constantly talking to us, guiding and directing us, but are we listening? Our focus has to change. We have to begin to speak life over our situation. We have to stand on the promises of God and change our focus. So you, the you in fun stands for listen to understand. Listen to understand. Listen to understand rather than speak to be heard. If you've read my Create devotional, that was day two of the declaration portion of that devotional. Listen to understand rather than speak to be heard. You know, most relationships in life, I don't know about you, but when I talk to Ty, nine times out of ten, I'm not listening. I'm thinking about my rebuttal. I'm thinking about where he went wrong in the beginning of that conversation. And as soon as he takes a breath, I'm going to interject and tell him what I think. And most of us, that's how we communicate. We truly don't listen to understand someone's heart. We can't wait till we get the opportunity to let them know where they were wrong or what our opinion is or how we believe they should go a different direction. But God has truly called us to listen to understand. God has called us to be selfless. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I die daily. He doesn't die a physical death. He dies to self. I must die so that someone else may live. I must die so that Christ may live within me. We have been called to be a selfless generation, to give up on being right. You know how hard that is to give up on being right? Especially when you're right a lot. (laughs) I tend to tell Ty, I'm right a lot, but sometimes right overrides peace. And when right overrides peace, I'd rather have peace than be right. It's no fun living in a home of dysfunction. It's no fun living in a home of turmoil and bickering and arguing because you want it to be right. And what does that solve? What does that prove? Nothing. We've got to start listening to our kids. Start listening to our husband listening to your wife. You don't have to agree with everything they say, but it's called respect. And for a family to function properly, to be a functional family, we have to respect one another. And I'll tell you this and be honest, y'all are the 1130 service, I didn't tell nobody else this, but a lot of what I'm preaching to you, I don't know to be a fact in my life as what I do, but I know I'm supposed to. So you're not alone when you may walk out of here and struggle with something that we talk about today. I will too. But the thing about our walk with the Lord is he is patient and he is kind. 
And every day, a little bit more of me, I pray. It's called dross in Scripture. A little bit more dross, a little bit more junk of me, I pray, falls away. I know the truth, and I believe freedom is coming in areas of my life, but I have to be reminded. So when I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching right back to myself. Um, when Ty and I counsel with people, um, you find out real quick who, who is there to just talk and who is there to actually listen and gain some wisdom and understanding. And in the first five minutes of listening to someone that I'm counseling with, I know right away if this will be the last time I meet with them or if this relationship's going to continue. Because I don't want to spend time with somebody that all they want to do is tell me how bad it is and not be willing to say, how can, I ch how can this change? In every situation in life, we have to be willing to listen to understand rather than speak to be heard. And if you want to surround yourself with godly people that can encourage you and help you get through what you're going through, you have to be willing to shut up sometimes and listen to understand. And it's not just listen to those around you, it's also to listen to God. And if you can't listen to other people that God has put in your life, what makes you think you're going to listen to Him when He speaks? We have to be able to slow down, to wait on God, and one of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And in the world that we live in, one of the things that we don't do very often is what? Slow down. We're not still. We're fast-moving people. Go, 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 go. But God has told us that if we can still ourselves before Him, meditate on His Word, He will speak and He will reveal to us the mysteries that we all desire but we can't be but God Christians. Have you met those people? Maybe you've even been one before. The Lord speaks, Heather, you've got to forgive. But God, you don't remember, do you not remember what they did to me? But God, you don't know how it feels. God is saying, don't be but God people. When I speak, listen, obey. I want your journey from here to there to move faster than even you do. But sometimes in between, we have to be people that listen and understand and then obey the action in which God has called us to do. In on fun is live to nurture. Live to nurture. To nurture means to care for and encourage the growth or development of. It means to promote, to campaign for, or to champion. I love that, to champion. What if in our family we lived to champion one another? What if we took God's word at heart where it says the first shall become last and the last shall become first? What would our family dynamic look at like if every single one of us decided I'm going to champion the other? You know, Pastor Ty spoke not too long ago, well, it's been a couple of years, about the ladder holder. Throw a ladder up against the wall and you'll only go so high. Put somebody at the bottom holding your ladder, you go so much higher. And when you reach that high point, maybe a platform in life, you reach down and lift somebody else up. When we're willing to, you know, it's, it's hard to watch people go further. It's hard to watch people do things you wish you could do, experience things that you wish you could experience. But God has called us to champion one another, to hold the ladder and let them go higher, and in return they turn around and lift you up. And it's your turn then for someone to hold your ladder. But we have to be people that champion others. Men love to quote this verse, and you men probably know it as soon as it comes out of my mouth. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's one that most, that most can quote, right, Jeff? 
But Ty and I always try to turn couples when we're doing marriage counseling to the scripture that comes before that. And I want to share that with you. It says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Submitting to one another in the fear of our Lord. So before wives submit to your husbands, it says all of us should submit to one another. And then for the next three chapter, three verses, it talks to wives on submitting to your husbands. As soon as that third verse ends, there are nine, cha- nine verses on husbands being told how to love your wives. We forget what's all around wives submit to your husbands. But my point is being this. The, the husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? How did Christ love you and me? He laid his life down. What does that mean? That means to submit. It goes both ways. Wives, yes, submit to your husbands. But husbands, submit to your wives. When we can champion each other, when we can lift each other up, the home dynamic can change dramatically. What would change if we submitted to one another? Pastor Holly Furtick, she's Pastor Stephen Furtick's uh, wife. I don't know if any of y'all have heard of her before, but she spoke a couple of weeks ago at her church And her message was entitled, Give What You Want and You Will Get What You Need. A great message. I encourage you, if you have a podcast app or are able to go online, uh, find that message with Elevation Church. But she talked about what are you not getting in relationships? What are you not getting from your kids, your friends, your spouse, um, a mother, uh, a sibling? What are you not getting that you need? She encouraged to give it. And as you know, if you were here last week, Pastor Ty talked about the seeds that we sow. And if you're not reaping a harvest of love in your family, maybe you should start sowing love into your family. If you're not reaping, if you're somebody that's like, I want affection, I crave affection, give affection. Plant that seed and watch the harvest come. God says, if you want a different harvest, you have to change your seed. If you want a different harvest, if you're not seeing what you want to see, if you're not getting what you feel you need to be who you've been called to be, begin to sow it to be able to reap it. But one thing we have to be reminded of is that you cannot expect to come into a relationship and someone to complete you. A kid. We pray for people all the time to have children, and you think, oh, that's the one thing I'm missing, and then you get children, and you're like, my God, why did I want a child? You know? (laughs) We expect something to complete us. Jerry Maguire had it all wrong. You do not need to put two halves together to make a whole. When you do two halves together, it becomes a whole lot of mess. What we need is two holes coming together and championing one another. How do I become a whole? I can't expect my husband to make me whole. I can't expect my children, my job, my church, my pastor to make me whole. My focus has to be on the only one who can make me whole. And when I become whole, then I don't have expectations that are unfair put on someone that will never be able to fulfill those. You may say, I know that person. Well, let's say this. We hear this scripture all the time, give and you'll receive. 
Give and it'll be given back to you. So very true. But our mentality cannot be that I'm going to give so that I will get. I'm going to give you this so that I can get this. That's not how God works. We give because we see a need. And that person may not ever give you what you need, but you know who will? God. Scripture tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He is the giver of everything we need. And sometimes you may give forgiveness. You may say, I don't need forgiveness, so why do I need to sow forgiveness? But when you sow something in the kingdom of God, something is going to grow. And you may sow forgiveness, but God is going to give you peace. You may sow affection, even though I don't need affection. I'm good. <laughs> Most women here. Um, I, don't, I don't need that. But you sow it anyway because your husband needs it. God's going to give you security. He's going to give you acceptance. He's going to give you what you need. And sometimes we sow into that or deposit into that bank to be used later for a withdrawal when we need it. God knows what we need and when we need it. But what he is asking us to do is to sow seeds expecting a return. And if you don't like your return, change your seed. I'm believing that my kids will have a less dysfunctional family than I had. I'll believe, I'm believing that my kids' kids will have a less dysfunctional family than my kids have. I'm believing that the course, my legacy will change because it will stop with me on some of the things that I've struggled with. Back to when I dealt with anxiety. My mom dealt with anxiety, my grandmother dealt with anxiety, but I am determined that my anxiety will not continue on with my children. You know, I believe that we can change the course of our future when our focus begins to be on who it needs to be on, to live, to nurture others around us, and to encourage them. We can leave a legacy. In closing today, I wanted to share a little story with you guys that really and truly has nothing to do with the dysfunctional family, but I feel it has everything to do with it. Because many of you may be sitting in here today going, my family's in a pit. I honestly don't see the hope of us ever moving forward. I feel far too many times we give up on marriages too quickly. We, we allow a root to be planted, a root of bitterness to be planted, and we throw in the towel and we give up. But I want to encourage you with this testimony that I'm going to have shared with you today to remind you that no matter how long you've been in your pit, you may be like, God, where are you? Why have you not fixed this? Why have you not changed this? What is going on? I feel lost. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. I hope this testimony reminds you and encourages you that God's timing is perfect. And that even in the middle of your pit, when your focus is on him, one day you will see the other side. Um, the testimony you're going to hear, and maybe some of you already saw it on Facebook, but it was too good not to, to share, is of a pastor who developed the flu, just your common flu. And this strand attacked his vocal cords so severely that it felt like he had pressure, like someone was choking him. He went to 63 different specialists and over 200 doctors searching for answers on how this would change. I mean, he's over the flu. But for a year, he tried to continue pastoring until one day he just said, y'all have got to find somebody better. I can't do this job sufficiently because of this disorder now that I have with my, with my um, vocal cords. So he stepped down. He moved away, moved to Houston, Texas, 
got a secular job, just working, trying to make ends meet, still struggling with this disorder. Three years now into battling this, he's at his Southern Baptist Bible study, the church that he belongs to. He's not pastoring it. He's just a congregant. And he gets a phone call from someone that says, your Sunday school leader is sick this morning. Is there any way you can fill in? It's on Psalms 103. This particular church, a lot of denominational churches, you don't just pick what you want to speak on. It's handed down through the assembly of of what you're speaking on that day. Can you preach on Psalms 103? He said, "Um, I can't talk. You can hardly have a conversation with me with anybody being able to understand me. They said, it's okay, we feel you're supposed to do this, we will mic you up. Well, this particular Bible study was the only one that is recorded in the church. There's several Sunday school classes, but this was the largest one. So they auto-recorded the service. And I want to show you, I I had to scrunch it down. If you get time, I'm going to post it today on my wall. I haven't yet because I I didn't want you all to all see it. I'm going to post it on my wall. Go back and watch the whole thing. He's talking about healing in the middle of his pit. And he believes God is a healer, but he doesn't believe God heals all the time because I'm not healed, you know, so God doesn't heal all the time. That's the way he felt. Watch what happens when his focus is on God, but even in some of his disbelief, God is still sovereign. And watch what happens. So the psalmist says, I'm excited. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. One of his benefits is he heals all of my diseases. And then in verse 4 he says, and he redeems my life from the pit. Now I like that verse just a whole lot. I have had and you have had in times past pit experiences. We've both had, we've all had times when Our life seemed to be in a pit, in a grave. And we didn't have an answer for the pit we find ourselves in. And I don't understand this right now. I'm but overwhelmed at the moment. I'm not quite sure what to say or do. I'm uh, <laughs> sounds funny to say a loss for words. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I He redeems my life from the pit (laughs) and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in love. The Lord will not accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's mercy. Or repay us according to our iniquities. That's mercy. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Pretty amazing story that even in the middle of his pit, he was still proclaiming God's word. And I I hope that encourages you today that it doesn't matter how long you've been. In your pit. God is sovereign and he is righteous and he is good. He is our healer. He's our provider. He's all that we need. And what he's asking you today is even in the middle of your pit to change your focus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And for this man, it took three years. And some of you may be saying, well, mine's been 10. It's not fair. Nothing in life is fair. But God is good and he's blessed you with so many wonderful things. He's blessed you with a wonderful family. He's surrounded you with people that love you and care about you, who believe with you, who pray with you, who hope for you. And he will redeem you from the pit. He will restore you and give you youth like wings of eagles. That's the God we serve. So no matter what your family situation looks like, no matter what condition it may be in, no matter how big the struggle is, put your eyes on Jesus. Listen to understand those around you, but most importantly, listen to God to understand Him. Seek His face. And live your life to nurture others. Even in your despair. Even in your sadness. Even in your lack of hope. Lift others up. Champion them to success. Take someone that's dealing with something you're dealing with and champion them. And in return, either someone will or God will. But every seed you sow, a harvest will come and God will restore your brokenness. If our prayer team this morning would come, I just want us to take a moment to pray. I'm going to pray over you as a family, as a church family. But if you have a need, there is power in unity. There's power in praying and believing together. But I believe a seed was sown in your heart today to believe again. A seed of hope was planted to not give up, to not lose heart, to know that God is for you and not against you. And you may not understand the season of life you find you're in, but God is sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. 
He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and you don't have to fear evil. Every day can be a good day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let him take care of it himself. If you would, stand to your feet today. Father God, I just pray for every person in this room. Would you just grab the hand of the person next to you? Father, I just pray for every person in this room today. You know their need. You know their pit that they find themselves in. You know what's going on in their life. And God, you have a hope and a future for them. You have a plan for them. I pray for families today, Father, that have been for years frustrated with one another. Unforgiveness, lack of hope. Marriages that just seem rocky. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you have planted a seed that is going to bring peace into their home. You have planted a seed in their heart that's going to bring restoration and forgiveness. I pray you've planted a seed in someone that says, I'm calling that person and I'm telling them that I'm sorry. Not expecting anything in return, but trusting you, God, that you will bring a harvest for the seeds that I've sown. God, I thank you for bringing families together to love one another, to champion one another, to love one another, to lift one another up and not expecting anything in return. May we become less so that you may become more. May we become less so that others around us can become more. Let us champion one another, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've begun a good work in each of us and you have promised that you will not stop until that day of completion. If it's not good, God's not done. Father, we thank you, we worship you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. If you need prayer this morning, please do not leave without meeting with one of our prayer partners. It's time for us to go love God, love people, and that means your family, the unlovable. And there are no limits to what God can do in your life. Amen? Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. Be blessed.